I've been coming out here every year since I was born. It's kind of in my blood. I love being in the boat. I love the water, love boats. I love fishing, so, and the money's great too. When temperatures get too high, they expel the algae that lives in their cell wall, and that's what gives them about 90% of their food intake. The algae photosynthesize, and then the coral uses that for food. When they bleach, they expel all of that algae, and that's why they're white, because the algae is what gives it the color. Thank you for this crew. Thanks, Lord, for the privilege it is to be involved in this fishery. And thank you for our healthy bodies. And thank you for each person around this table. We pray you just bless this food to our body. In Jesus' name, amen. Sleeping and eating are priorities when we're not fishing. For sure. Equal. Fishing and eating are equal. And sleeping is a close second. Uh, everything revolves around the fishing and when we're out there fishing. So... Eating can wait, sleeping can wait. You really notice it in the boat, but then you like come in and just fall asleep on the table. She's like, oh, I guess I am tired. They're eating breakfast and then their heads are on the table, snoring within seconds, yeah. <laughs> I've been coming out here every year since I was born. I think I maybe missed one summer, so it's kind of in my blood. So I grew up playing here on the beach and now I'm working for my dad. And yeah, paying my way through college with the money I earn in the summer. I'm super proud of her. Just at this point, hasn't had to have a huge take out a loan and have huge debt, and that's always a concern. This job is just so unique in that the fish come and they hit, and when there's a lot of them, you get paid a lot. Um, and it's just such a unique experience. And sometimes you don't get paid a lot if there's not a lot of fish. I'm a little bit concerned about the youth of this generation and the fact that. Um, there can be a bit of an entitlement mentality, um, and I think this helps teach the value of work, the value of a dollar that's earned, and, and I think that's really important. I think uh, some of that's getting lost today. Okay, let's get our gear on, shall we? Here's our army truck. We've had this forever. As you can see right now, it's hooked up to the line, which goes way out into the water, and the net is attached on this line right here. So as the tide comes in, we use the clamp and use the truck, and we can pull the net in with the tide. And it's really nice to keep the net close to the beach because a lot of fish run near the shore. So yeah, as the tide keeps coming in, we pull it in, and then as the tide goes out, then we can pull it out too and keep fishing for as many hours as we can get the boat underneath the net. Okay, you ready? 
Okay, pulling ahead. It takes a lot of practice. There's actually a lot of technique. <laughs> this one, <laughs> definitely very tangled. But it's okay, I ripped the face off, so. I saw that. <laughs> to be fast, always keep fish in front of everybody. We don't wait for somebody to get a fish out of the net. We bring that fish all the way to the stern so everybody has fish in front of them. We pick and deliver, pick and deliver as fast as we can until we run out of water, right until the tide goes out too far. He taught me when I was really young, so I feel like every year like I gain more skill. Yeah. Good job, you guys. Two and a half bags, that works. There we go. Easy down. There we go. Yeah, we're good to go. We'll take it. That was a good good little pick. What is it, three years now? Yeah, I think Has so. Been, is it four or three? Three, I think. Three. It's only going to get better. We're going to spend a lifetime together. I'll pass away and then I'll hand it off to my kids. That's She'll right. be working with my kids. Great. Be great. Are we ready? We are good right, to go. Right. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Sarah. See you soon. Bye, guys. I love being in the boat. I love the water, love boats. The hardest part is definitely the hours. It's, um, it's pretty exhausting, but I love fishing, so it's all, and the money's great too, so it's a good aspect. Yeah, I hope just to continue as long as I can. My name is Sharon Vandal. This is my husband, John Vandal. We're currently in South Naknek. This is our traditionally called fish camp. And it's where you spend your time during the summer while you're fishing. This area is unique in the fact that it has the volume that it has for this particular type of fish. It is the largest red salmon area in the world. We came down here early 80s when our kids were six years old and four years old. We've been married 50 years. And before we were married, we fished in Southeast Alaska. And that, it's something that John really loved. Yeah. Get the hot dogs, they're inside. We're fortunate enough to have electricity and a telephone and a washer and dryer. Not everybody has that. So we feel very fortunate. Yeah, a little cribbage match. Dave stomping me pretty good. 11. This is a cabin that uh, is very small. Very tight, very compressed. We actually, we have eight bunks. You can sit on the bed here. This little area here at, at my age is somewhat of a challenge to get into. And you don't want to get up too fast because um, these hang down. So John and I have hit our head a number of times, but you know what? That's just all part of what's going on here. So, but we have the things that we need. We have water that comes out of a tank. We've got a refrigerator here, a microwave and We've got uh, pork roast in there. 
15, two, four, six, eight, pair for 10, pair for 12. Comeback in the making. Yep. Perfect day for cars. Our only concern is just living by the tides and uh, the excitement of catching a lot of fish and watching our kids enjoy themselves and being able to do all these things as a family. Pretty amazing. Having friends come out, uh, it's pretty special and pretty rare. Yeah, it's been really cool. These guys have opened it up, you know, just because it is. Uh, a place where like you 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 come out here and then you're like oh I want to show you this it's, it's it's that kind of place. Let's see. I'm trying I'm trying to get some baby towels for the fire. For the fire? What are you doing? Oh, we're making a s'mores. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. I might give one to you, okay? If you haven't been in a rural community, it's a little different than being in an urban community. If you're expecting Starbucks, there's not going to be one on the corner. You need to be very creative in, in how you do things. And you, you need to sort of understand that before coming here. This is our new addition this year. I don't know of too many people who have had an outhouse with warm water sink to wash your hands afterwards. Ta-da! And typically Alaskan. And it was cute, my second night here. I opened the door and there was a bear right outside here. You can leave the door open. You get an absolutely spectacular view. Grandkids talk all winter about my cabin, my cabin on the beach. I can't wait to go to, when are we going to, to the cabin? We don't want that. We don't want it to go out. We were actually out here when we found out we were having a little girl, and it just seemed really fitting to go with Bristol. We do call her Bristol Bay. And then my son is Noah, the boat builder. So yeah, definitely naming my kids after this place shows kind of how much it means to me. <laughs> I first came out here in 1986. Um, so for me, it's just always been part of my life. All the rules at home, you're allowed to break out here during the summer. So when I got older, I really wanted my kids to grow up the same way I did and kind of escape from the city life during the summers. Time for us to go catch a fish. This fishing has gone on for hundreds of years by the native people who were here before. So we need to respect that, we needed to learn from them, and we wanted our children to also understand that so that they understood what Alaska is really about. Our daughter and son-in-law have been basically kind of running the site for us. When I'm not here, I'm a principal of a middle school in Anchorage. My wife is a teacher, so this is a wonderful way for us to have family time, but also uh, another income, and more than anything, just live as Alaskans, because we're both, both born and raised here, and this is just a, a part of the fabric uh, that makes this such an amazing state. Sometimes these tender operators get a little wild with the crane. Otter pops. We're, we're easily entertained out here. I'll give you a red one too. 
was like that flag. Perks of the job. It's the small things. We're Bristol Bay family. Uh, we all rely on each other and look out for each other. So it's uh, just a neat community. As long as you enjoy it, get your fish, get some weight. Bristol Bay is known as one of the top producing wild salmon industries in the world, and it has always had a really good reputation. It's still morning. <laughs> Did Allie wake up with a song in her heart? Not yet. <laughs> we'll see what happens when we get on the water. <laughs> yeah. She's a little girl. She's sing first thing in the morning. <laughs> We fish for Alaska General Seafoods, which is based out of Naknek Northside. When we're done picking our net, we'll drive over to the tender, and once we get to the tender, they'll offload it, weigh it, then they take it and they process it in the cannery. You know, from there it goes to you know, whoever their buyers are. It's a beautiful day. No, I got this. Oh, goodness, girl, hang on to it. What? Hang on to it. We used to have these little games, who can be the fastest at picking fish. As the kids were growing up, that, that was one of their goals, is they'd become the faster picker. I do have a lot of fun here. Usually my sister Gabby's here and we have a lot more fun on the boat, but she's home this summer. <laughs> Usually we spend all summer together on the boat, picking together, yeah. These kids have grown up, they know exactly what they need to do when they need to do it. You know, some kids will come out here, they'll be miserable, and I always just kept telling them, you know, you can do anything for two weeks. It doesn't have to just be fishing, but you know, when life gets hard and you wanna quit, just think, in two weeks, I could be done with this. And so that's kind of been my work philosophy with the kids, especially when they're in high school. And you know, they don't want to get out of bed. Four o'clock in the morning is just not fun, you know? And I would just say, you know, we do this, you know, for part of the summer, the main part of the fishing season is two weeks. You can do anything for two weeks. It's 50 fathom, Mom. Need that arm exercise, Allie. <laughs> They haven't always bought into it. You know, they've wanted to do something else or, you know, go to softball games with friends or, you know, just do summer things. But, you know, we've never had that. Because in life, you do miss out. There's things in life you miss out on. And when they grow older, I think they've learned that, you know, there's some other kids who are missing out on a whole bunch more. Well, I think we already have half a bag. Fancy kitchen tools. 
My mom is Alaska native from here. She grew up here. She was one of the original set netters in our family. So her permit was passed on to her from her grandfather. Our philosophy in salmon fishing has never been about the money. It has a historical value to me, just personally, a traditional value for commercial fishing here. You know, it's something that my mom loved to do, and I felt very fortunate to be able to carry it on. I have to remind myself and my family that it's not about the money. But economically, if that's what we're going to look at it for, then it changes everything. It changes how you're going to raise your kids. It's going to change how, you know, you do life. I'm ready. Take it. It's a short period of time <laughs> that you could be together but learn how to be together working as a family, which a lot of people don't do a lot of. That was one of our goals, was to w raise our children here. And with set netting, you have to go and do a lot of physical labor while doing it. Whenever we like talk to most of our friends, the first thing we probably say is, Hi, I'm Allie, I'm from Alaska, and I commercial fish. Like That's kind of the way it goes, and that's our number one thing that we're proud of to say that we do in the summer, because it's such, such a family bond and everything. It's not just fishing. It's, it's deep and part of each and every one of them. I plan on coming out here every summer for as long as I can, as long as um, floor will allow. It's my goal, for sure. I would love to raise my family out here, too, just as my family did. It's just a different type of peace. Hi, um, I'm Jennifer Pollum. I'm the Executive Director of the Ocean Conservation Foundation as well as Director of Conservation at Rainbow Reef Dive Center here in Key Largo. We are just off the shore in Key Largo here, diving in the National Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary, and we're on Molasses Reef, which is one of the most beautiful and popular reefs in the Keys to dive. We've had unprecedentedly high temperatures down here this summer. We usually have high temperatures, we're in Florida, but it got really hot really quickly, really early here. And the corals we're finding really aren't responding very well. We're seeing a lot of bleaching all over the reef, especially with the branching corals, the staghorns and the elkhorns, which are some of the most important species to have on the reef. When temperatures get too high, they expel the algae that lives in their cell wall, and that's what gives them about 90% of their food intake. The algae photosynthesize, and then the coral uses that for food. When they bleach, they expel all of that algae, and that's why they're white, because the algae is what gives it the color. And unfortunately, with the rate at which we saw the bleaching come on, we're looking at a lot of mortality. Corals in some way, shape, or form are older than dinosaurs. They're older than your favorite shark or crocodile. They're actually older than land plants. So in that 500 million years, they survived multiple natural cycles of warming and multiple natural cycles of cooling. And in that time, they evolved, they adapted, they acclimated to the environments, they shifted north and south around the world to form one of the most biodiverse ecosystems on this planet that we simply call coral reefs. 
Since 1970, Florida's coral reefs have actually decreased in biodiversity and structure. We've actually lost 98 to 99% of our original stony coral habitat. Coral Restoration Foundation was founded in 2007, and we are the largest marine conservation nonprofit restoration organization working in the Florida Keys, and we aim to be a leader in the field globally and help where we can. Welcome to the Tavernier Nursery. This is the largest ocean-based nursery in the world, and it is the largest nursery that we have. It is home to 500 trees, which is about 30,000 corals at full capacity. There's nowhere else in the world that you can swim through a living forest of coral like you can in this nursery. There is just one of them. We have multiple nurseries. Together they hold 50,000 corals, and this is our biggest, making up 30,000 of them. Our founder, Ken Niedemeyer, developed the coral tree, which is now recognized as being the best way to grow large quantities of certain species of coral really, really quickly. The coral tree works really well, partly because it's mid-water. And so since the coral is vertical in the water column, as water passes by, the corals can get the maximum amount of oxygen and nutrients and just water flow so that they're really in an optimal environment. And that's actually what allows the corals to grow much faster on coral trees than they do in their natural reef environment. Once the coral gets to be about a football size, we'll harvest the coral from the tree and then we'll return it to a nearby reef. The heat was not a total surprise to us. We knew that because this was an El Nino event and from predictions from government agencies, we knew that this was probably gonna be a pretty hot summer. We partnered with land facilities to be able to bring corals out of the ocean, out of those in-situ nurseries into these land-based facilities so that we could control the water temperatures. The rescue effort came in two different phases. The first phase that we did was to safeguard the genetic diversity that we have. So we wanted to make sure that we had small samples of every single genotype that we have. Once that was done, we kind of went to stock management. We pulled out all the corals that were looking the best and um, healthy here so that we could safeguard that stock um, so that we could hopefully take them back after the summer heat event is over and continue to use them in the restoration process. Coral bleaching is actually a natural response to the from the coral to a warming or uh, a sudden change in its environment. The problem is when that change is too extreme and or it happens for too long. And so in this particular case in 2023, we saw warming starting to happen a full month before the average summer temperatures peaked. And so now the corals had to work with these extreme temperatures that were unprecedented in our history. And that's why we're seeing bleaching at such a stronger threshold because the temperatures are so much higher and for so much longer. The climate changes. It's time and time again throughout history we've had uh, natural climate swings, but it happens slow enough for corals to be able to adapt and, and evolutionize to deal with that. But the fact of the matter is that the anthropogenic factors of climate change that are happening right now are causing the climate to change so rapidly and our waters to warm so quickly that it's too fast for corals and many of the mammals and animals that rely on coral reefs to be able to adapt to that and, and deal with it. <laughs> 